You know, maybe I really do need a new terminology. <laughs> Boronation. Well, I guess that would be every video I do, wouldn't it? No, I mean, like, the, the thing I'm talking about is boring, not me being boring. That's just kind of a duh. I, I, I'm, mm, I'm going to save my behind-the-scenes comments for the end. Trust me, it'll make more sense that way. So we have the hook, you know, the intro thing. Hey, oh my god, there's this place, and there's stuff that might have happened here. Oh. And the Klingons totally killed them. We haven't had a raid in seven years. Which, actually, if I might be so bold, that one line is more interesting than the entire episode combined. The, the rest of the episode, I mean. I'm serious. The idea of the fact that even under the Trudy... Trudy? <laughs> even under the Trees and Trudy that we have with the Klingons, that there are still rogue Klingon captains who operate outside of the bounds of Klingon control and law, and are free to do things like raid. Now, obviously that hasn't happened in seven years, because we're a lot more close to them than we have been in the past, but I like the idea that they kept doing that off and on, basically just because there's always going to be individuals who aren't going to follow the status quo, or, you know, lockstep with the current policies of the, the Chancellor. And as, a con as an aside concept, it kind of makes sense to me that the Klingons, who are far more about making decisions right now, rather than thinking things out long-term, would see a place and be like, oh, it's super weak, let's go, and take it, you know. Funnily enough, there is actually a Klingon who does actually raid in this episode. He does, in fact, steal high-priority Starfleet stuff, which is funny, because you'd think that military allies would just share that kind of stuff. Yeah, I know, I know. I can already bash this point during the redemption sequence. Whatever, moving on. Um, I do like the scene where Picard threatens the, the governor. <laughs> Just straight up. That's okay, you're right. I'm sorry for bringing this to your attention. I'll go to speak with Gowron, Chancellor Gowron instead. Well, he is beneath him. Probably, but, you know, I was his arbiter of succession. I do have a direct pipeline to him. Oh. Uh. We'll do whatever you say. <laughs> Because you have to keep in mind, thanks to the way Klingon politics works, Galron's position right now is stronger than it has ever been. Oh, sure, you could argue the whys and the wherefores of exactly how certain things happened with regards to redemption. But the long and the short of it is, Galron won a large-scale claim to his, to his house, to his power. And that means, I mean, think about Klingon society and culture. It's all about how you respond to things. You know, someone trying to attack you with a knife has the legal right to do that in Klingon society under the right circumstances. So, this was an entire force of under the Duras, backed by the Romulans, trying to usurp him, which he defeated all by himself, of course. So, um, yeah, you could see why his position would be super strong and would remain so until the end of DS9, actually. But I'm getting off topic. So, the reason I'm getting off topic is because this is a really, really dumb, boring episode. Even the writers dislike this one. This doesn't quite qualify for Lamentation status. As I've said before, Lamentation is it's, it's a special category. It's really got to be Drek to be Lamentation. Like Transfigurations. But, um, yeah, there's nothing going on here. There is no chemistry whatsoever between the actress who plays Aquiel, which I don't even have her name. I guess I can look that up real quick. And uh, LeVar Burton. Uh, Renee Jones. Just zero chemistry. The two play off each other badly. And 
I never like to speak ill of someone else's acting, because I myself am a terrible actor, but it's probably worth noting that she was a terrible actor in this episode. I've said many, many times, Star Trek lives and breathes on the strength of its guest stars. I've said that so many times. This is a good example of what I mean by that, because when you have a really bad guest star, it doesn't work. Frankly, even the guy playing the governor wasn't exactly impressing me. You'd think it would be hard to play a Klingon. It actually is harder than it sounds. So, uh, uh, you know, I have five, one, two, three, four, five notes in my notes that all are just the word MUSIC in all caps. This is part of what I dislike about bad music direction, is it's, it, it draws not attention to itself, which makes it even worse because it's already bad. What I mean is there's so many scenes where it's like, Oh my god, you don't understand, there's a phaser duel! And oh my god, there's this goop that touched Crusher's hand duel! You know what I'm talking about, right? They like to do that, oh my god, end of cliffhanger thing duel! Even when it's not actually leading into a, a commercial break. I talked about this all the way back in The Visitor over on DS9, how much this has always irritated me. In this episode, it's just like they didn't know what to do with anything because there's no actual plot or events or mystery going on. So they're like, okay, we need to emphasize every new plot element. Oh my god, we found the pen! There's a thing of carrots! Just constantly, the whole episode. Oh my god. Uh, This is an addition to the fact that this woman is seriously not Starfleet material. Like, I know people panic, and I know blah, 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 but this woman decides to reach out and delete someone's logs while that she is a suspect of murdering this person because he was going to recommend she get reviewed. Uh, congratulations, you have just guaranteed you're going to get your career torpedoed, except they never bring this up again. So, I mean, I guess all is forgiven because she didn't murder a guy. Never mind the fact that she deleted logs during a murder investigation. I'm pretty sure that's not allowed either. This is also in addition to the fact that immediately after this, she decides to try and run. How and where are my questions? Where does she think she's going? This isn't like she can just get on a car and drive to the next town. They're in the middle of deep space on the Enterprise. The only other ship even nearby is the Klingon one. Was she going to steal a shuttle? That'll go over well. I'm scared. I need to go. And, and the way she says this, this is when I say bad acting. I'm scared, Jordy. No. <laughs> no. Not at all. Also, <sighs> this also... Now, okay. You'll notice I haven't even brought up the romance plot yet. I want to just line this up for you. She... Jordy reaches out. Excuse me to this woman and falls for her for some reason because the plot demands it. There's nothing engaging or compelling about her. I know, I know. We can never decide who we love. Blah, blah, blah. I see nothing that indicates any reason why Jordy would actually end up liking this person even at a friendship level. Never mind a romantic level. But anyways. Immediately after the events I just mentioned where she deleted the log and then tries to run away is when they kiss for the first time. What? And then, 
they find out it was the dog. Oh my gosh! And it's this weird peanut-looking thing. And I, I know, I know. TNG '90s. I'm sorry. We have seen better special effects than this in this show prior to now. What the hell is that thing? Even the actual creators are are legitimately embarrassed at the special effects of the the morphic peanut almond thing. And of course, she's gone. At the end of the episode, she decides, nope, I'm peacing out and I'll never be heard from again because you end up marrying Leia Brahms. Now, so Jordy's back to being single, right? This is what I gotta share this quote. <clears throat> we were looking for a new spin to put on a love story. A straight love story didn't seem good enough. Jordy feeling in love with someone he thought was dead gave it a nicer feel. Let me say that one more time in case I missed it. A straight love story didn't seem enough. This is Jerry Taylor, by the way. Jordy falling in love with someone he thought was dead gave it just a nicer kind of feel. Uh... Of course, she seemed like an unobtainable person or a non-real, which we'd seen before with this character, but it quickly turned around. The thing we all wanted to happen was to keep it for the continuation of a relationship. We want to have one of our characters have an ongoing and committed relationship. After we lost the O'Briens, everybody in the 24th century is single, and I think it might be nice to suggest enduring relationships are not going to be gone in the future. Now, ignoring the, huh, with the first part of that sentence, I actually fully agree with the second part, because... You know, it's not about the romance, it's about the commitment. It's about the nature of culture and society. And frankly, you can't tell me not none of these main characters are not, uh, if not legally, then functionally married. Yet apparently none of them are. And indeed, this will remain so for the entire rest of the show's run. This is an interesting thing to bring up, actually, because near as I can tell, there was some opposition to any kind of romance that was not of the weak, uh, you know, romance of the weak uh, concept. And the only explanation I've ever been able to find is the whole anti-continuity argument. The idea that they want, don't want someone to watch an episode and all of a sudden these two characters are together and they're like, when did that happen? You know, we don't want our audience to feel lost because they missed an episode. That would be awful. I know, I know. I'm coming across as sounding harsh here because I am very pro-continuity, but as far as excuses go, that would be weak at the best of times. Is ignoring the fact that they already have multiple actors who have excellent chemistry with each other who end up together in the long term that they could have done something with. They've got two pairing offs they could use right now. Riker and Troy, who do end up marrying, and Crusher and Picard, who do end up marrying. Although, actually, given the Picard show, maybe they don't end up marrying. But I do know in the Picard show, Crusher and Riker, or excuse me, Crusher and Riker, wow, Riker and Troy do end up together. And I know that because the trailer that just came out just before I recorded this episode actually talked about that. So, there you go. So you could have done something with that, but no. No. No, instead Picard's going to have a one-off with some lieutenant. And uh, Troy's going to get together with Worf. Spoilers. Don't worry, neither relationship lasts. It's just... You'll notice I've drifted way off topic here. This is a really, really, really boring episode. There's nothing to talk about. It was the dog. How many of you guessed that, like, within the first eh, ten or so minutes? Like, as soon as it became clear that it was a murder mystery, how many of you were like, it's the dog? They beam on board an empty station. No one's there. 
there's evidence of a fight and there's a dog. Of course, it was the freaking dog. The... Speaking of which, do these people not have the ability to scan for handprints? Or, you know, fingerprints? Anything like that? No, they have to scan for DNA. Oh, okay. Well, what about the sensor that goes off whenever a phaser is fired? You know, at a certain... Uh, at, at, at set to kill. You remember that? That was actually a plot point in Star Trek VI. Settle out about 80 years before now. It's a good feature, if you think about it. Any time a phaser is fired, set to kill, it should set off alarm. I actually agree with that. That's a great concept. Why doesn't that exist? Anyways. <laughs> I give up. I hope you've enjoyed what little I got. I'll see you next time, guys.